0: Welcome to Improv for the Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll hear from Jamie about his improvisational journey, play a couple games, and most importantly, learn how he improved his life. Let's hit it. Welcome to Improv for the Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Lee Evans, and today I'm here with Jamie, who is an incredible improviser, an improv teacher, trained in clowning, and most importantly, just a quality human being. So Jamie... How you doing today? Thank you for joining us. I'm well. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. I know. I know. It's uh, it's it's good to have you here in the studio 2.0. You know, there's been some renovations. Believe it or not, there's not a pile of junk behind the camera anymore. This place was a
1: dump behind that camera. <laughs> I did get a chance to see it. It was horrendous. Yeah, yeah. So but it's looking good.
0: James got some some insider secrets there, so I'm definitely curious to hear more about those a little later in the interview. But uh, Jamie, before we get too deep into things, I want to ask you a couple questions. So my first question, or I guess maybe something I want to share, I remember the first time I met you. Uh, I believe was about September twenty twenty one. Wow! Uh, that was my first official month starting in IFTP, and you were substituting for Matt uh, in the Wednesday night class. It
1: was your first class, and I was your first. Was I? So I was the I, first.
0: I don't know if it was my first class, but is. My first full month, I started in August. Got it. But like halfway through. Got it. So right around, though, probably my third or fourth class. So very early on in my IFTP experience. And oh my gosh, I just remember. I was like, whoa, this guy's cool. Well, one, okay, I got to throw it out there. You have the coolest hair in the world. Oh my God. I just, I need to say, I need to name it. Everyone out there needs to know. <laughs> wow. Jamie's hair, he's got some fantastic follicles.
1: I have to say, uh, you, you know, I don't know this is a podcast, it's improv for Mm -hmm. the podcast. I'm not sure who will be watching this, Ah, but I will say this left side is my bad side. So all of you people watching it, you're really missing out on the real show is happening right over here. All right,
0: well, you know, you always gotta keep them coming for more. So there you go, there you go. And uh, well, luckily, hopefully if people tune in on YouTube, if they feel like checking it out, they might be able to see it, but you're right, you're right. let's focus on the sounds. Yeah, oh, what was that over there? Oh, wow, oh my gosh. In the vast emptiness of the studio, there's there's so much movement. It was the right side. Oh, that. See, clever, clever this one, <sighs> clever this one. So that was a, a one of my first impressions of meeting you. I think uh, I was just very, you know, I was new to IFTP, so everyone was like, "Oh, wow, gosh, gee, golly," and uh, I I remember really enjoying your class just because I had done, you know, only a, a couple classes with Matt, and it was so much fun to get your take and kind of like, you know, just a, a fresh perspective on improv and. Uh, you worked us. You worked us, and I was like, "Did okay, I? What, what did we do?" Now, here's the thing: I don't know if I can remember specifically. That's fair
1: enough. It's over a year
0: ago. It was over a year ago. Um, done a done a few classes since then, but I bet
1: we did some scenes. That sounds like an improv class that I would have taught.
0: Yeah, but I I think just your mannerisms, your your energy that brought to your classes is, is is what stuck with me. Just very calm, but professional and like honest and kind, all these things. And I was like, wow, okay, this guy knows this stuff. Like your air of professionalism, but you're, you know, the professionals can be like, Ooh, like that person's kind of snobby or like, Oh, I respect that person. and want to hear more from them. And you go on the side of like, I respect that person and want to hear more from them. Oh, thank you. You know, like, I'm not like, Ooh, like I'm kind of snobby, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's just what I thought right away. And uh, just to clarify, Jamie, you are a faculty member here at improv for the people um, and I wanted to ask you about that. When did you kind of first find and join IFTP? What did that look like becoming a faculty member?
1: Sure. So I originally I was on as my improv journey, as you said so nicely. My goal was to study at every improv theater in Los Angeles oh. and so I believe I've accomplished that. There okay. might be theaters that I don't know of, but everyone that I was able to find online, I have attended classes at. Okay. okay. Which has been great. We'll talk then cuz I yeah, we're going to get into that. Okay, okay, good. Good. Um and then so, you know, IFTP was naturally on that list and I took class Matt was my first teacher here and mm. then I studied with Shelley when she still taught classes here. Oh, okay. And uh it was really great. And then one day Matt and I were just talking and I feel like he got the impression that I possibly could teach a class. I was mm. IFTP faculty material and he basically reached out and offered me the class and I started teaching. This might've been back in 2018 or possibly okay. early 2019. And, uh, I started with one class and it was so much fun. I had always Thought so academically about improv that it was fun to kind of now be a teacher, be an academic of mm-hmm. improv in a sense, and to uh, teach. It's really given me a different perspective on the art form and very, a very analytical approach, which I, you know, for better or worse, use in my own improv. Mm. Uh, it's hard to, and it's now now it's this is the unfortunate side of having taught classes. It's really hard to be a student. Yeah. It's really hard to be a student, not because of any kind of power dynamic, but just because when I'm watching scenes, I have so many things. I'm like, oh, yes. I, I can't turn the teacher brain off. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of that is I love the art form so much. I just, if anything, I'm overly loquacious about it. I'll just talk and talk and talk. And I feel bad for the students in my class sometimes. I'm like, am I talking too much? <laughs> or Was that too many notes? And it's yeah. not because I like to hear myself talk. I just love the art form so mm-hmm. much that I could really... Talk about it for hours. So when you invited me to be on this podcast, I'm like, my Wednesday night is free.
0: <laughs> and You're in the right place.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we're glad you're here, Jamie. And we're gonna dive in a little more on your journey. But
0: I love hearing. Yeah, you started here as a student, and then over time, right, uh, you shifted into this faculty position. And I don't want to get into it too much because we're gonna like we're gonna blow all that up. Oh later. my god! Just zoom in and like look at the fine details but before we do uh we have a little tradition here that we like to do with our guests before we get into our main interview uh we play a game called three things now jamie are you familiar with three things
1: Hmm. I've heard of five things. Is this the shorter version, the podcast version of five things? It is. Uh, but we
0: like to put a little classic twist on it here at improv for the podcast. Uh, we call it three things, but it's personal because, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier before we jumped on the mics, uh, I often like to do research or think about things that are specific to my guests when they come on the show. So you're going to be listing things from certain categories that hopefully pertain to you a little bit, just as a chance to give the audience at home, you know, uh, to know you a little better and to see the real Jamie.
1: Oh dear. All right. That's scary. It's uh, uh,
0: it's real
1: scary. Oh boy. Jamie is a very, uh, very bottled up and it's probably for the best. All right. Well,
0: uh, we'll see. get ready to pop that cork because mm-hmm. <laughs> that bottles come loose. All right. All right. So I'll go ahead and jump in. I'm going to keep with our traditional format. I'll say, these are three things. I'll name the category and then I'll count off as you list one. And we're going to do three different categories. It's going to move pretty quick. And then we'll see where the conversation goes from there.
1: Three things in three different
0: categories. Yes. Got it. Nine total. There you go. Good math right here. That's right. All right. Here we go.
1: These are three things. Things that are blue. The wall behind me. One. My beautiful right eye. Two. My beautiful left eye three. These These are are three three things.
0: things. Amazing. Uh, things you've eaten in the past week.
1: Oh, uh, tacos. One. Nachos. Two. Uh, fruit and yogurt parfait. Three. These These are are three three things. things. Three tattoos that you have. A tangent function with mathematical mistakes on it. One. A carousel with the horses scratched out. Two. And a number that I invented. Three. These are three things.
0: All right. Well done, Jamie. Oh man. Okay. I had, so I have lots of questions for you. Uh, first off, that was very clever listing your eyes separately. You got me there. Cause I was like, for a moment, I was like, oh my gosh, uh, heterochromia. And then I was like, wait, no, your eyes are the same color. That's right. So fooled me there. Um, but okay. Moving <laughs> past that one. So great job on the blue objects. Second category, tacos, nachos, Am I to assume your favorite maybe genre of food is Mexican food?
1: You would be correct in that, though those were both at the same meal. We started uh, with the nachos ooh, and then had a taco. A little appetizer. Okay, but little uh, I absolutely love Mexican food more than any other cuisine by far. I could mm. eat Mexican food literally three times a day, every day, and I wouldn't sick of it. Mm. It's a mm. sickness.
0: I have much respect for your affinities, and I think I concur with you. Can I ask, where did you have these nachos and tacos?
1: Cavalera is right down here on Pico.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, Pico yeah. Pico and Bundy? I'm not sure. I know a different one. I think it's a chain, a local LA chain.
1: Is it a, is it mistaken. a chain? I believe so. Oh, There's a few. I had no idea. There's
0: one over by me on the east side of town. Oh great. Yeah. Got uh, it. It's a good spot. It's a good yeah, spot. Yeah, but
1: the music's too loud,
0: so sit outside. That's my recommendation. There you go. All right. Unless I'm confusing it for a different restaurant. Nobody fact check that. All right. How well, how's the music on the East side? Um, the two times I've been there, there have not been music
1: that I can recall. Unrelated. Unrelated.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's no, there's no way they're connected or know each other. No, they're probably
1: mortal enemies. That makes it even more fun. Yeah. That actually, that's true. Everyone loves a rivalry. Right? So you've only been to your Cavalera's twice. Yeah. So it must not be that good. Well, I just. Uh, well, maybe this isn't the place. This isn't the venue. Is we'll the leave place. it up this to you. Place.
0: I, I went there with coworkers workers that same group, hasn't been in that same area in quite some time. Mm. This was the last time I went was 2019. Oh my God. So Pre pandemic, everything has changed since it has. then. So my yeah. knowledge is outdated and irrelevant, perhaps. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Moving on to that last one. Um, you mentioned three tattoos, the tangent sign, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the carousel with the scratch out horses, That's the right. tangent sign with mathematical mistakes. Sorry. That's right. Let's specify, uh, the carousel, scratch out horses, and then a number you made up. Oh boy. I think tattoos are very interesting. Mm. And I feel like you're a person who maybe has stories or meaning behind your tattoos more than just the, it's a, ta- I got it. Cause it was cool. So, hmm. If you were to pick one of those, which do you think is most meaningful to you?
1: Well, I am partial to my tangent function that has mistakes in it. It was my first tattoo. Mm. I was a waiter at a very like conservative kind of mom and pops restaurant. Ah. And so you couldn't have tattoos showing. And so I waited until I quit. And then literally the next day I got this tattoo. Mm. Uh, it's on my left arm. And uh, I was a big math nerd in college. I loved calculus and it was very much didn't feel like math. It felt more like logic and problem solving which was very interesting to me. And uh, I love the tangent function. Um, probably not visible to people but it has these beautiful waves and curves and these asymptotes that have these kind of rigid dotted lines. I just felt like there was a lot of beauty and industrial harshness within just the the graph itself. And so I just on its face I thought it was quite beautiful. And then I decided to put some mistakes into the graph as kind of a social critique on our over-reliance on uh, science and math Mm -hmm. to give us knowledge. When, um, from my perspective, Science and math are, you know, numbers are the language just like English is, and it's mm-hmm. capable of manipulation by the people who speak it. Yeah. And so while numbers no- don't lie, the people who use them might. So yeah. it's just a, it's a, it's a social critique on our reliance yeah. on certain sources of knowledge to guide our everyday thinking. When in fact, I think it's much more complicated. Yeah. And it's maybe the idea of like, maybe we should have multiple
0: sources of knowledge rather than just one to make our decisions.
1: Yeah. You know, in general and- uh, this certainly ties back into my own improv perspective. I'm, I'm wary of authority or attempts at authority mm. uh, in order to control a situation or to control an outcome. I very much like you know, uh, ideas to speak on their own merit, regardless of where they're from, who they're from, how long they've been there. It's very much, um, a, as best as one can, a, a meritocracy mm. of, of ideas and thinking. And that you know, to bring it back to improv, I feel the same way about improv. But uh, you said you're, we're going to blow this wide open, oh, so I'm yeah. going to go. At, we're going to go at your yeah. pace.
0: Well, I've got some bad news for you, Jamie. I'm actually a huge into dictatorship, so this is a. Uh this might be a rough interview. Well, you must love IFTP. Oh boy, do I. My favorite dictatorship. <laughs> right, Matt? No. That's right, Matt. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. Cut that, cut that, cut that. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much Jamie for explaining. I I love that story and I think your first tattoo to be so like meaningful and just kind of an idea that's stayed with you. Can I ask how old were you when you got that tattoo?
1: I must have been about 25. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. 25. 24 perhaps even.
0: 25, 24. Okay. I I have but one tattoo, and as I've gotten older, I still like it, but I cringe about it a little bit. Oh well, tell us more, Michael. Well, yeah, and this is yeah. I've thought about this on the podcast, and I was like, oh no. Um, so I have a tattoo that's actually Hamilton lyrics, and I know it's like, oh boy, I'm like you know, because at this point, Hamilton's very overplayed. But uh, you know, it it I got into it not to be like a hipster, but I got into it before it was you know like it became. <laughs> 2015, um, you know, public theater, moving to Broadway, all that. But, uh, I didn't get the tattoo until a couple years later just because uh, I didn't have money. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it was, uh, lyrics from, um, uh, Aaron Burr's song, wait for it. And he, you know, talks about love, life and death, not discriminating. And for me, I kind of view that as I don't want to live my life like Aaron Burr. At least we see in the example in the show where he didn't stand for a lot of things and he just waited, you know, for tough times to blow over and, I don't want to be someone of inaction, but rather action. And I know I can't predict what life is going to throw at me. So I always need to be taking action, you know, don't be passive, but be, you know, seek things out. So I think I use that as a reminder. And, you know, sometimes when I I mention that to people, like, oh, they're going to think like, oh, my gosh, you have Hamilton lyrics. (laughs) But I'd like to think, you know, there's more to it than that. And I don't want to be ashamed of it because I'm stuck with it, you know.
1: Yeah. I think that's really interesting, especially, you know, given the timing of when you obtained that tattoo years mm. after you had originally I, supposedly been inspired by those words yeah. when you had money. And I think that's interesting that you're talking about action versus inaction, where sometimes action needs proper circumstances to be acted upon. You couldn't get your tattoo, the action, without waiting for the right circumstances, the money or the mm. personal circumstances or what have you before you could do it. So it's interesting. It's uh, I like that. I yeah. like that. I think uh, it's uh, you know, your, your tattoo is far beyond the lyrics themselves. It, the tattoo is the action. Yeah.
0: Oh, oh wow. I think okay. that's cool. That just made me feel, feel pretty good. Thanks, Jamie. You're welcome. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump into our interview. It's time to bust things open. It's time to talk about all things improv. I'm excited. So we're going to start at the very beginning, Jamie, we're going to start. And I want you to tell me about the very first time you were introduced or exposed to improv, not even like doing it, just literally the idea of improv. When was that first encounter for you?
1: You know, I I know a lot of people say, whose line is it anyway? Mm -hmm. And I, about three people, I think so far, I (laughs) know of whose line is it anyway, but I never even registered that as improv. It kind of just didn't hit me. So my first, what I consider my first experience with improv was in school. I was, uh, in law school and I, it was after my first year and law school is very tough. I don't know if anybody has ever told you that. I've
0: seen Legally Blonde.
1: It's very tough. It's very tough, especially for us blondes. And after the first year, I was so terribly bored Mm. by, uh, just my life, it was all studying and working and doing all these things that you're supposed to be doing in school to advance yourself as a you know, future lawyer. And I was just like, uh, there has to be something more. I need something else in my day than just studying and taking exams and all this stuff, which I love to do. I'm very much a nerd and an academic type person, so I love that stuff, I love school. But uh, I just felt very unsatisfied. And so I'm like, okay, you know what? I was at UCLA and UCLA has tons and tons and tons of clubs and societies and groups. And they're like, I'm just going to go to every single meeting I can fit in my schedule until I find something that clicks with me. Mm. And so I went to, I don't know, maybe 30 different groups. I went to architecture club, to game club, to poetry club, to um, gardening club, to uh, the UCLA Quidditch team. I played wow. Quidditch Oh, once. I've seen
0: YouTube videos
1: about that. Yeah. Wait, what
0: What position were you? I don't know.
1: <sighs> I uh, sideline. Oh, <laughs> I okay. was on the sideline. Okay. okay, that's all right. But I watched most of it. There you go. Uh, and then one day I got invited to the improv club mm. class thing, and it was an open jam. And I just remember I my mind was blown. It was so funny. I can't even remember the last time. I don't know that I've ever laughed that hard. I was my face was red. My I was crying laughing so hard. I'm like, this is it. I need this. And ever since then, I've been obsessed with it. Wow.
0: Can I ask, what year was that, just to kind of place us in time?
1: Yeah, that would have been
0: 2014. Mm, 2014. Okay. So Improv Jam, that's, I think, a great environment for like that first exposure, that first experience, because Improv Jams are just such fun events, and they're very loose and casual, and, you know, nobody's worried about being bad, you know, because sometimes you are bad, and that's okay. And it's just, yeah, it's so open and inclusive, and, oh, That's fantastic. Okay. So you go to your first improv jam, you immediately fall in love and you're like, this is it. This is where I want to be. What happens after that?
1: Uh, I went to, I went back and I went back and I went back and I went back and then I researched like, okay, where is there improv around me? How can Mm. I do this? And then I started taking classes. I started going to every jam that I could fit in my schedule. I started reading improv books. Uh, I really just like immersed myself. My, my entire existence was law school, and then every other waking moment was improv. Wow. Um, and so I was on UCLA's improv team. We were called the Cats, mm. which was a, a play on Wildcats, which yeah. is like a stupid school mascot. High school musical. Yeah. Oh, is that right? I've never I've seen so. it.
0: Oh. Jamie, I, you, you know what you need to do tonight when you get home?
1: Improvise.
0: No, watch all three high school musicals.
1: Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a commitment. You know, uh, yeah. I I love live theater, particularly improv and stand up and mm. clown and lime and all that good stuff. And I just I have a hard time watching movies. Mm. I have a hard time doing it, which I, I've seen very few movies in my life. Probably in my entire life, I maybe have seen twenty five movies. Wow. And I feel like that's not a lot. Wow.
0: Huh. I think that's really interesting. We're gonna we're gonna take a quick tangent. What are Of those 25-ish, you know, more or less movies that you've seen, can you name three of them that you did really enjoy? Or were there any three that you did enjoy? Just curious.
1: God. um, You know, I really liked Amelie. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought that one was great. I think it's, the other one is La Bella Vita, which is that Italian film from the 90s about that. uh, I think he's a, uh, he's a, clown or like a Jewish clown or something. And he gets mm. like, uh, uh taken to the concentration camps in world war two, but he tries to make the best of it. And so I always, that kind of spoke to me because I, not that I've ever been in a situation like that, but I it can easily become very serious and mm. cerebral, you know, the law school side yeah, of my sure. brain. And so having, I love that movie so much because he was in these terrible circumstances, but found ways to have fun and play. And mm. anybody who's seen the movie knows what I'm talking about. And if you haven't seen the movie, I recommend it. And I love that. That was inspirational to me because I can be very serious and, and, and intellectual and I have to remember to have fun and be silly and be stupid and embarrass myself and laugh and all that stuff. So yeah. I found it very, very um, nice on a very personal level. And then a third movie. You know, I've always been a Titanic nerd, so I mm. liked the Titanic. Okay. Uh, the film. It's classic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh, it's uh, it's stuck with me. I've seen it a couple times.
0: Okay. Okay. Nice. I uh, first time I watched that movie, I didn't see it till I was in college, and my roommate, we it was on DVD, and it we lost the second disc, so you see like half the movie, and then I don't. Don't quite remember how we solved the situation, but we had to wait a little bit before I was able to see the second half. Just that's a bummer. We didn't have access to it, and that uh, happened with another movie, Gangs in New York. So I don't know. Just crazy, but anyway, I think that's really interesting. And do you think maybe you just don't find that interest in movies because? And I think. I would say they maybe lack the same magic or electricity of live performance or being in the room as, you know, whether it's, you know, a clown performance, improvisation, stand up comedy, um, a play. Is it just, why do you think that is?
1: You know, I think a lot of times, first of all, I think a lot of films are just too long. Mm. I think they overstay their welcome. Mm. Uh, I love the, uh, Like you're saying, yeah, being in the room, the experiential part of live theater, which you don't often get with films unless you go to, you know, like an IMAX Mm -hmm. where there's the sounds and the whole thing, that might, that might slightly be in, you know, in that range. But I, I find that a lot of films and TV shows are formulaic and, you Mm -hmm. know, again, bringing it back to improv, I can't stand the formulas, the formulae, if, you know. We're being yeah. formal. Yeah. Formal um formal formulae. Yeah, formal yeah. formulae. The 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 formula is if I can identify it, I just like, oh I I, I want to be surprised by mm. what's happening, what's going to happen, which is I think the brilliance of improv is the improvisers themselves are participants not only actors they're also audience members because Mm -hmm. they don't know what's going to happen next as opposed to a traditional actor who I know this is going to happen I know he's going to die in the third act and Mm -hmm. she's going to spill water then like you know what the show is and you're just presenting it to the audience for improvisers you are part of the audience because you don't know what's going to happen next and I think that's so exciting and so fun and so I always try to encourage people improvisers to you know break the mold and just try something different and just surprise yourself and surprise each other. Cause I think that's really what's fun about it.
0: Mm.
1: Mm. I like that. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head with formulaic because although
0: I do, you know, I do enjoy watching movies and TV shows, I can't say you're wrong. <laughs> they aren't formulaic. Um, because I mean, look at like any superhero movie is, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's copy and paste with different faces. Like, but the plot is, and, and, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole other conversation. But uh, I, I would definitely agree. I think the magic of particularly improv and a live performance, I know for me, if I think about any sort of entertainment, like I know like improv and improv show is going to be the most like bang for my buck. You know, I'm like, I'm going to see something I've never seen before. I'm going to experience it that one time and odds are I'm going to be laughing harder than I've ever laughed at anything else. And that pretty much always hits every time I go to a show and I, nothing can beat that.
1: Absolutely nothing. Uh, well said. Well said. I have nothing to add on to that. I thought that <laughs> oh, really? it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. You know, uh, being at a great improv show, I think is better than being at, I think the best improv show would beat the best of any other kind of show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In my view, some mm-hmm. people, maybe they disagree, but they would be wrong.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I'm with you there. They would be wrong. And there are lots of other types of shows I love, but got to go with the improv. Going to tap it. Sorry, Broadway. Sorry. Uh, Stand up, sorry everyone. I mean, concerts? Yeah. Fine, thanks. Yeah, I mean, improvised musical, now we're talking.
1: Well, that alone, see, here we go, here uh, we go, let's get into it. Oh, it is a little formulaic. Huh? It's a little formulaic. Yeah. I, it's in a, it's a, an incredible demonstration of talent. Those performers are incredibly talented, gifted singers, musicians, being able to find and put that together on the fly. There's talent abound. But I start to see the formulas happening when mm-hmm. I start watching these shows. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, they repeated that. They did this here. They're bringing that back now. Oh, mm-hmm. they're going to... As soon as I can see it, and I, maybe this is the curse of having taught improv, is I am very, I guess, uh, analytical about it. And so I start like looking for their patterns. I'm like, oh, okay, I can see this is going to come back. And I'm like, oh, no, I wish I didn't. Because I would love to still have that surprise. And so... Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 they're very talented. Yeah, but I I worry about the formula.
0: Mm. And I think that totally makes sense. I mean, you're an experienced teacher, so you know you've you've put in the reps of like just analyzing improv scenes and like breaking them down, analyzing choices. You know, that you could have done this. You also could have done this. And I think it leads to a point where anytime you're watching improv, like you said, you can't help but think about like, well, what if this or you know, what if this? And like, oh, I might have done that there. I see where this is going. Like, at some point, you know, you get. Get it down so i i understand what you're saying and uh so maybe just loose loose improv is the way to go no music get that out of here
1: yeah don't uh, yeah i that's what i'm talking about michael you get it you get it <laughs> all right just yeah, yeah organic organic all
0: right. All right. i like that i like that a lot okay so bring us back to the story of your improv journey thank you for going on that tangent with me um so you mentioned how like you just became hungrier and hungrier for improv. So you, your life was split into two halves. You're like, there's law school Jamie, there's improv Jamie. And improv Jamie, this was kind of the first time improv Jamie was flourishing, right? Like you said, you went to jams. That expanded to like, I'm going to look for classes. I'm going to start reading books. Um, which kind of ties into my question. You had mentioned earlier that you had made it a goal Uh, to kind of experience every improv school in Los Angeles. And I want to ask, how did you come to that decision or how did you come to form that goal?
1: Well, I had studied at um, a few schools and I had gone there just because they were like name brand schools and I had, that's all I knew. You know, I was just getting started, I didn't know anything so I just went where I heard people talking about. And I went there and I'm like, hmm, I don't know that this, uh, you know, I, I tried really hard to learn their rules, learn their per, you know, perspective, and mm. try to really incorporate that. I'm like, hmm. But whenever teachers would give me rules, or say, oh, if you know, rule of three is if you do something twice, you've gotta do it a third time. Mm. It's like, as soon as I hear that, I, my question is immediately why? Yeah. What, what happens if you don't do it? What happens if you do it four times? Does the rule of threes ever not work? Why doesn't it work? Does, is the rule of twos better? Sometimes there's diminishing returns on the third one because the audience predicts the pattern. So all these questions bounce around in my head when I hear like teachers say, you know, comedy is this or this is what happens. And so I'm like, hmm, I wonder if there's different perspectives because I was yeah. just chafing against these rules and these structures and these formulas. Uh, I'm going to stick with formulas for the rest of the interview because okay, formulae sounds pretentious. Yeah, Even true, though true. I believe it's correct. I think so. Yeah, I'll, I'll back you up on that. Let's let's intentionally be wrong. Okay. Formulas. So, I was chafing against all of these, and so I'm like, okay, I wonder what else is out there. I want to see what else is out there. So I'm like, I'm just going to take classes at this school. I'm like, oh, okay, well, this doesn't seem quite right because these have they have different rules than this other school, and both are you know funny and are able to do good scenes. Okay, well, if there's two sets of competing rules and both of them are successful, then what do the rules really mean? And so, okay, then I'll try another school. Oh, okay. Now there's three sets of rules and all of them are valid. And so it just became increasingly clear to me the more I attended classes at different schools and heard mm. different teachers and coaches and directors that um, there are no rules mm-hmm. or the rules are really maybe guidelines or suggestions yeah, at yeah. best. Yeah. Um, it took me a while to figure that out and kind of see that. And so my goal was just to, I wanted to hear everybody's rules. I wanted to hear what everybody had to say, uh, and and then make up my own mind about mm. what I thought was, you know, best or, or, or ideal or what's really behind this improv. What is improv at its most essential? Mm. You know, if you strip away, you know, yes and and, you know, play big characters and you get rid of all the trappings around improv, what is the kernel of what improv really is? And to me, it's moment by moment... Uh, presence on stage and anything above and beyond that that you hear from a teacher or a coach to me is just stylization mm-hmm. it's a style of improv if you focus on character, fine, perfectly ballad, do whatever the hell you want, I don't care but it is not the right way to do improv, if you never played a character in your life, that's okay, you're still improvising, if characters don't come naturally to you, fine, find what does find what your strengths are and then use that as a, as a building block get your foothold in that and then go from there and so that's why I kind of like to eschew the rules a little bit because I want to, I want art in general and improv in particular to be an expression of the individual mm. you know what is Michael's performance style I, my goal as a teacher or a coach is to try to help you find what makes sense to you mm. so a lot of times in my classes I just kind of throw everything against the wall yeah. I give broad perspectives. I even contradict myself depending on the scene. I st- sometimes students call me out, like, "Well, I've heard you say X before, and now you're saying Y." Mm. And then, first of all, I love that because then we can really develop the nuance of how X and Y maybe play together, or yeah. uh, you know, sometimes this, sometimes that. Because live performance is a very, very complicated and uh, nuanced thing. Yeah that really is not subject to formulas. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, uh, that's a really long way of answering your question, but basically I just wanted to see what the rules really were. And it turns out there are none.
0: Yeah. I think that, yeah, it, you only could have come to that conclusion after going through that experience. Cause I think I've done something similar where I've been to, yeah, I think, I guess at least four to five different spots around LA at this point. And I, Definitely agree that, like, everybody's just trying to give you their flavor. And, you know, they're like, hey, no, 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 come do improv our way. Uh, here's this book. Um, this is what we focus on here. And you're going to do it like this, or you're going to fail your class. And that's something I kind of hate. Yeah. I've come to realize as well. Cause I just, you know, I'm like, is this the only way? Like, I think I can still do good improv, even if I don't do this the way you want me to. And I think, you just find yourself kind of batting around, kind of ping-ponging back and forth between these different schools and systems. And I, I very much agree with you. And I don't know that I've ever been able to put it into words, but now that I'm hearing it, I'm like light bulb right now. Like that's 100%. The rules are, they're all kind of fake. They're just guidelines to, to help you. You know, it's like, hey, maybe you're struggling. You can use these things to kind of help you get things going. But that doesn't mean they're 100% truth that you're going to live and die by them. And I like how you just kind of found this, this kernel of improv, what it is, like you said, presence, because I think that's so true because it's at the end of the day, it's you and at least one other person on that stage. And that's where it's got to start. It's all about that. Are you there with that person? And I I just love how you put that.
1: I really do. Well, Michael, I'm going to, I'm going to reduce it even more. Okay. Okay. Reduce. Uh, Because all you need is even just yourself on that stage. Presence with yourself, presence with the audience, presence in the room. And I think that that's a very important skill mm. because almost in life too, you know, if you think about, and I'm not going to try to give anybody relationship advice, <laughs> but it's a good one. So listen up everybody. You have to be as much of a, as close to a whole person as possible before I think you can have a successful relationship with another person. Write this down, everyone. Write it down. Rewind this and listen to it. Yep, loop it. Because if you come into a relationship or if you come into an improv scene mm. overly depending on the other person, then it stymies you, mm. right? And then your choices are just devoted solely to that person or mm. the majority to that person. When I think improv is stronger and I think relationships are in life as well, when you come as as uh, full as possible, you, your cup is almost full, mm. right? Or, or full and that way um you know it it creates uh i think it allows people to be themselves yeah right rather than mold themselves to the other person too much and again mm-hmm. i'm all about the individual i want i want michael to show me himself on stage yeah. not like just michael but i michael's choices i want to see michael's brain at work yeah. in an improv scene um and so yeah i would say it's an underdeveloped muscle of holding a stage by yourself. People get worried about it. They look for the other person. Mm. You know, I I want, I want students in a two person scene. I want people to leave the scene, leave the stage, just go take your seat and let the other person just be alone in that room that you left them in Mm. and see what they do. Cause the show is still going, you know, we don't need two people on stage to keep that scene alive. Um, yeah, I don't know.
0: I think that's an incredible analogy. Just yeah, and I mean it is applicable to relationships. I, I very much agree with you because I, I mean you know my my cup is always full, so that's not something I've ever struggled with. But you know maybe people at home have yeah, but again not relatable at all for me. Yeah, so not even not even a little bit. It's just you know my my cup is my cup overfloweth. My cup is overflowing. Mm. I I have to keep getting a bigger cup. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You and me both. At this point, I I've got a camelback. You know. I've got a Yeti it wasn't enough. Wow. I've got a Yeti. I, well, I've got a, one of those, uh, Gatorade containers they use on the football sidelines.
1: I have, I have, I have. No,
0: I lost it. That's all right. That's all right. I'm sorry that you lost it. I lost it. You're back to the cup. I'm back to the small cup. That's rough. That's rough. But you'll work your way back up. I'm sure. I'm
1: sure. But,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. And, That as an audience member, you do want to see that person's choices because I think that's what makes each and every performance unique and interesting and touching back on what you said, right? If you're seeing someone else's choices, like their true authentic choices, that makes it unexpected, right? That makes you not be able to predict things or not see the formulas in the performance, in the story, you know, whatever it is you're watching in that improv. So I, I really love that because just, man, your consistency within your improv philosophy and just how it all ties together is awesome. It's awesome.
1: All right. Thanks. Have you had guests on that whose improv philosophy was internally contradictory? Ah, uh, just Swiss cheese,
0: you know, just uh, uh,
1: was, Hey, you know, enough Swiss cheese pieces on top of each other. Mm, those holes plug up.
0: That's true. That's true. I've heard that's, yeah, I've heard that. So... I'll talk to some of those guests. No, I'm kidding. All the former guests. You're all amazing. I think. No. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I wanted to ask. So you, okay, that first improv exposure, 2014, um, you know, you work, you seek, you learn, you become a student of improv. Um, You mentioned you had, uh, was it you joined IFTP in 2018 or that's when you became a faculty member in
1: 2018? I was a student, I think it was... Yeah, late 2018, and then by early 2019, I became part of the faculty. Okay. So within a few months of starting, it was kind of in that range. Okay,
0: wow, all right. So what made you, so you found IFTP, you started taking classes here. Um, Was there something that was different about IFTP or that made you want to stay for the long haul? Or maybe you weren't even planning on it, and then just over time you went from, I'm a student here, now I'm a faculty member here.
1: Yeah, what I think is great, and what's you know encouraged me to stay is, there is really Matt does a really good job at allowing the individual faculty members and the students as well to kind of be themselves to bring their own perspective Mm. to the class to the scenes to the shows. Uh, There's very little structure or guidelines, whereas you and I just mentioned, a lot of the other schools, that's their thing. You know, yeah. X school always does X. This is what you do at X. If you don't like X, then you go to Y. If you don't like Y, then find Z. Yep. You know, and so that's not really the case here. Matt's very open to all approaches. And I think that's what makes the classes so great is mm. that you can take ava's class you can take benjamin's class matt's class my class and you're going to hear very different perspectives and very different approaches and i think that's fantastic because it took me having to leave different schools to go find different perspectives where in fact here you can hear multiple different perspectives under one house yeah uh, one roof and i think that's Great, because I longed for that as a student. I wanted to hear different perspectives because you don't always jive with every teacher, and that's no, absolutely okay. Absolutely not. That's fine. Some, some, sometimes people don't speak your language, mm-hmm. and that's okay, yeah. but it's good to hear them out, and then once you've given them you know, the honest college try, then you, know, you can move on to the next until right. you find something that really clicks. And so I think part of the strength of IFTP, and I'm just speaking about the faculty, but I think that's true for the students as well, is everybody's allowed to have their own style, yeah. and everybody does. So, um, I think, I think that's what's kept me here as long as it is. And I, and I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a good point in that, like, you know, thinking about some other places you can really like grind gears with some teachers. I know I've had that experience and it's like, it makes you feel bad. You're like, am I, do I suck? Like, am I bad at this? And, you know, it makes you question everything. Like I've had that experience, like within the past six months, like somewhere, not going to name names now but i've just felt that way and i think like you said coming here i've i've been in class i've had a class with you i've had a class with ava i've had a class with Matt. i haven't had a class with ben he's the only one i gotta gotta make that happen but uh i you're right that is yeah just the different the different styles you can experience here all under one roof but then see how they come together as well you know it's like they're not conflicting with one another here they it's kind of harmonious like an improv Improv oasis.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is if... I I see improv as very open and very fluid and Mm. very organic. And so there's no inherent conflict in different approaches to improv so long as you you are in agreement or you are yes-anding each other. Matt Mm. and I, we've done a lot of scenes together. He and I have a very, very different approach to improv. And because we don't find those differences to be uh, a bad thing or to be conflictual we try to work with those differences to make a very unique interesting scene mm. where you know matt's trying to do his good acting uh relationship stuff and i'm sitting in the audience using somebody's chapstick you know like and we're trying to find out how does this scene work when yeah. i'm outside the fourth wall yeah. breaking you know the 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 suspension of disbelief and Matt's trying to keep the scene going. Like it's just, it's a very interesting scenario and I think it's very refreshing to watch these different, you know, competing styles find a way to potentially meld together.
0: Yeah. And they don't, you as much as you think they might clash, they never do. They always find a way to come together at the end of the scene, I think.
1: Well, if you're really yes anding, you know and it's not just something that you say in 101 and then forget about if you're actually yes-anding the other person not just in in words but in spirit then there's nothing that can't find a way to gel mm. you know it's just about trying to just keep agreeing keep finding it and and not being like no you know as soon as you of course we all know this as soon as you have the no uh, that's really i think when the tension starts because yeah. things get tough there right, yeah, right. then you're
0: Button heads, grinding gears, and then who knows what's going to happen next in the scene?
1: In probably nothing. Yeah, probably nothing because it's you just stalled. said no and you just ruined it. Yeah, yeah. But wait, me? Yeah.
0: Oh, you, Michael. I'm sorry, Jamie.
1: No. That's okay. But I will say, <laughs> you know, uh, there's plenty of room for no's in improv. Yeah, of course. We say yes and, and I guess by that I mean just a general agreement that we're going to try to do this together. Mm -hmm. That's about as specific as I think yes and can be while while still being honest. Mm -hmm. Because you can say no as as much as you want or need to play the scene. You know, if someone's making choices that make you uncomfortable or if your character is the kind of person who says no to things, great. You know, so I, a lot of times I see students afraid of saying no or afraid of asking questions or afraid of, denying the other person. And I don't see any problem with any of those.
0: Mm, Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's early improv classes. I think generally are like, if you say the word, no, you're, we'll kick you out of here and we'll, you know, we'll burn your apartment down. But it's, it's not true. It's one of those things where once you understand like the concept of like we're working together on this, but that doesn't mean I can't say no to things and still make the scene work. And I think that's a fine line that it's hard to find the balance on, but you can, it's there, you can get to it. It's not a, saying no is not a forbidden, it's not a sin, you know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I... Sometimes, I mean, there's multiple different layers to an improv scene. You mm. can say no as a character. You can say no as an actor. Mm. Or you can say no from a more uh, meta place. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to define what that even means. But, you know, um, like, I, I, I love to use puns mm. in improv. Or a pun master. But say. M- let me defend puns because... <laughs> I, I use puns and I see I see a lot of misunderstanding of mm. what the puns are really intended to do. The puns are not a hokey joke to mm. get a quick laugh and then move on. The puns are an invitation to flip the meaning of the scene and mm. to really take it in a new direction. So, for example, I there was one scene I remember doing where... Um, the, my scene partner said something along the lines of, um, ow, I just got stung by a bee. Mm. Great. Um, and I, my response was something like, well, we got to get out of here before the C's and the D's come mm-hmm. right. It's just a, just, it's a play on words. Yeah. It's, it's a pun, but it's not intended to be a stupid joke. It's intended to kind of flip the meaning of the scene because yeah. now all of a sudden we're in this abstract world where now we're hiding from the alphabet. Yeah. You know, and that's what, what kind of crazy fun can you have hiding from the alphabet? Mm -hmm. What does that even mean? I don't know. It's just the puns are an invitation to take the scene in an unexpected and new direction. Mm. And so uh, I don't know how I got started on this, but I just know that I came into this podcast studio wanting to defend puns.
0: (laughs) Well, I love that. And I think that example that you used, like that made me go, Oh, that makes a ton of sense. And I, I can't say I've always viewed puns like that, but in that particular example, it totally clicked for me because now I do want to see a scene where these two characters that I'm rooting for are afraid of the alphabet stinging them. Yeah. Like, what is that? That's unexpected. I want to see that. That's, I haven't seen that movie. You That's know? what
1: I'm talking about. And you get to see, it's a, you get to see a fresh novel scene. It's not two roommates yeah. arguing about whose chores or Oh, but who's going to take out the trash, Jamie. I got to know. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. That's all right. We'll find a we'll find a fresh spin on yeah. roommate scenes.
0: Yeah. Just just wait for our games later in this episode. They're oh, all the, roommate scenes actually.
1: I can't wait. Yeah. This is actually I love this because and I hope you're serious. I know you're not, but I hope you are. Yeah. Because it's only when you do these rote scenes, acknowledge that they're rote mm-hmm. and and overdone and then try to find a way to explore them in a new fashion that like people's minds Yeah. There, I, there's so many times in improv class where we've seen things and people are like, I didn't know that was possible. I didn't mm-hmm. know you could do that. Some people are just waiting for permission to be allowed to explore outside the bounds. Some students, you know, uh, I love when people will play like animals. That's a great oh, yeah. step in that direction. I yeah. love that. Or play, even play bacteria. Ooh. Play play a red circle. What yeah. does that even mean to play a red circle? That's like, so I don't
0: abstract.
1: know. Yeah. But... Uh, but all of these things exist. It's like we kind of can personify these weird concepts and kind of think about shapes differently when mm. the circle wants to divorce the square because yeah. they don't fit together anymore. Oh, yeah. They it's got like, oh, my God. How great is that? I, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. There's a lot more to improv. And so people who... I don't know. See, make the same choices, or are bored with improv? Mm. Oh dear, we've had, we've got to have a conversation. Yeah, because then maybe it's like,
0: well, look in the mirror. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think they're yeah. too comfortable. Yeah. I think they're too comfortable, and I'm always about pushing myself, pushing others, or at least. Inviting other people to push themselves, Mm. you know, because I don't know what anybody's boundaries are, but I would encourage them to identify what their boundaries are and try to step over those lines. Because a lot of times these boundaries that we think we have, we don't really have. They don't, there's no consequences on the other side of, you know, I have to always dress a certain way or I feel uncomfortable and my uh, hair looks a certain way. It's like, uh, great, be uncomfortable. It's not going to hurt you. Yeah. You know,
0: I mean, so I don't know. That just makes me think like if you don't feel comfortable taking risks or doing something different in improv, then are you able to do that anywhere in life? You know, does that behavior like transcend? Cause I think, I know for me in my life, I haven't always been a risk taker, uh, but as I've gotten older, that's something I've tried to be more proactive about. And I want to be able to do that in my improv too. You know, I don't want to get bored with scenes or stuck in the same old roommate. Wow. Nice job cleaning up the apartment. Like, oh my gosh, I think every single person listening to this right now, even if you're not an improviser, has seen that scene, you know? Because that's, what more can we do with that? Because there's, like you said, the the opportunities within that scene alone and just the observations that could be made or the premises and concepts that could be explored, you know, there's a whole can of worms there that we've barely just taken off the top worm.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, you know, to, because people bring in their outside... Uh, perspectives and and histories mm. and it's a great idea having a podcast studio next to a fire firehouse yeah yeah that's uh, <laughs> this is i think
0: i think almost every episode has had at least one siren appearance so uh, shout out the uh la fd
1: thank you heroes yeah heroes um, work here that's right yeah. uh but what's so interesting is the concept of safety i think is really interesting mm uh in in society and in the improv world as well in an improv class people want to feel safe uh, a lot of times and great who doesn't want to feel safe of course but a lot of times I think safe leads to um, I don't know... Uh, Uh, kind of a a, a stasis Mm. you know there's not a lot of change within a safe environment and i think improv is great because of that risk factor and risk to me is antithetical to safety Mm -hmm. you know but maybe maybe one facilitates the other maybe you have to feel safe before you feel comfortable taking a risk it's very complicated to try to balance these two big concepts but i i guess my way of thinking about it is to encourage people to feel powerful Mm. Cause I think when you feel powerful on stage and you feel like you can make choices and you have agency as a character or as an actor to like, I want to say no to this person. Well, say no. Yeah. Go ahead and say no. Yeah. Say it. Feel powerful enough to do that, to break the rules rather than to feel safe. And then to try to find ways to take risk within safety Mm. rather encompass both of those by feeling powerful. Mm. Um, So I encourage improvisers to come, you know, like a, fully charged person on stage and just ready to go ready to just let loose and do whatever and, and go with it. Cause I think that's when they're going to have the most fun. Yeah. And isn't that why we're doing this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love what you said. Like, you know, we want people to feel powerful on stage because, Oh my gosh. Yeah. You just, everything becomes easy when you feel powerful on stage because you're not worried. You're not scared. You know, you're like, yeah, I'm going to do some wacky. I'm going to make a different choice than I normally would. And that's I think typically when we see the most interesting and compelling scenes totally. when the actors who are on stage presenting it you know do feel powerful and just willing to go head first into whatever it is they're doing you know they're not scared that's right, and I think you can you can see a difference you know between a performer who feels powerful and a performer who
1: doesn't you can feel it, it somebody's power fills the room and fills the stage out, and if the stage feels like it has weight mm-hmm. as opposed to if you come on stage. Worried or nervous or self conscious, which of course there's a certain you know everybody goes through that always oh, no big deal you know right. I guess the key is to identify that you feel that way, acknowledge that you have some agency over those feelings, and you have mm. some agency over your choices in a scene, uh, and to see if you can flip the script a little bit and and try to turn your turn your discomfort into power. How do you do that? By not caring you know by not worrying about the judgment of others yeah. and realizing that improv classes are a safe place especially at iftp you know and you can take those risks and if you mm-hmm. cross boundaries we'll deal with that if we need to but that essentially never ever happens yeah, no I, I mean in my time
0: here i have not seen that right so yeah. i don't know i guess uh I
1: don't, I don't even know what your question was but it's Ten minutes later, and here we are. I don't either, so don't even worry
0: about it. Okay, but, you know, I'll see it in the edit. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, another question I have for you, Jamie, um, because I think I'm curious to hear your answer on like the the impact or effect that improv has had in your life. You know, not just in classes and in shows, but outside of that. You know, has there been a difference made in your life because of improv, being a participant, a student, and now a teacher? No. No. There you have it, folks. A great episode. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, of course. um, I think that improv has totally changed my life for the better. Mm. It has made me uh, more accepting of my own failure and even embrace failure and Mm. to find fun in failing. You know, going back to law school and and school, I'm very academic. I love to study. I love to, you know, learn stuff. Yeah. But in school, there's very much a right and a wrong for a lot of questions, a lot of classes. And that kind of puts you in this black and white space where there's a lot of pressure. You you know, there's no room for failure because failing a class could mean you don't graduate. You don't get to get that job or whatever the hell it is. The stakes. The stakes. And So I I adopted that pressure and put that pressure on myself. And so being more comfortable with failure and uh, even enjoying it, finding ways to have fun with failing Mm. uh, has been really, I think, healthy for my soul just to kind of not take things so seriously. Mm. And it's also changed my perspective on, uh, you know, planning things out. I tended to, and sometimes still do, have very perfectionistic personality traits i like things to like be planned and organized and see know what's going to happen ahead but as we talked about with improv i think improv is great because you don't have that you don't have the script you don't have the plot or the plan or the formula you have the moment by moment exploration of what it is and i think that is a much more fun way to live life and so a lot of times in improv and in my personal and professional life sometimes i just do things to see what will happen Mm. rather than to do things with an intended result. So I very much have kind of lost any goals. I'm not really a goal oriented person. I'm very much like, Hmm, I wonder if I take this job, what will happen? And so I do it and then it totally opens up a new world for me and it's great. Mm. Um, So it's, it's kind of reversing the thinking rather than doing something for a goal. It's doing something to see what will happen. It's it's very yeah. fluid and easy and I and I like uh, living and performing that way. Mm. Yeah, and it's like it's not
0: focusing on the destination, but the journey instead, and seeing what you can learn and take from that.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, there there is no destination. I think once you've uh, arrived at the destination, I'm immediately uninterested because yeah. like I, it's the it's the journey. Yeah, and you move on to the next. You're like, okay, I'm here. Well, now what?
0: I, I love that. I love that perspective. Okay. I got a couple more questions for you. Okay. We're going to get into some games. Uh, it's just pure roommate scenes. It's just three roommate scenes in a row. We're going to fucking know. tear these roommate scenes up. Oh my gosh. There's going to be the dynamics. We're going to talk about security deposits, um, rent. One of us might even lose a job, you know, just some classic roommate stuff.
1: I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. But you know,
0: hold, hold your horses because we're not there yet. Uh, I want to ask, um, for you in your improv journey, right? We we've we learned about how you became, you know, a student at a jam and you know, all, all this learning and knowledge that you've acquired and attained. Where do you want or what are you kind of hoping for next in kind of your improv path? Is there like a goal you have? Maybe there's no goal. You know, maybe it's just like, hey, if improv takes me here, that'd be awesome, you know? What does that look like in the yeah. future?
1: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, Kind of like I just said, I don't really have specific goals. Yeah. And so sometimes uh, it feels like I'm not doing anything, mm. which is the interesting feeling. And I think that's a social construct that I've taken on personally. Yeah,
0: uh, that's,
1: that that's feeling like, like, like you, like Yeah, right? you have to be going, you have to be doing yeah. something in order to feel like you are valuable. You, you better always be generating profit. And I am, but like, can't I relax as well?
0: Yeah. no. Uh, <laughs> always, 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 always profit.
1: But yeah, for me, what's next in improv... Uh, I want to know what is next for improv as an art form. Mm. You know, I feel like improv has reached a very static level. It feels like a lot of people feel like they have improv figured out. And I'm very offended by that because to me, improv is all about exploration. So to think that you, Know everything that you have the map, and then this is it. You know, it goes back to here are the rules. Mm. You know, if you acknowledge that improv is an ever changing art form, I mean, it it depends on who you ask. Yeah. People have been improvising since the dawn of time, the ancient Greeks, all that stuff. Improv has been around a long time. Yeah. If you ask people in Chicago, it started in the 1950s. Yeah. Uh, So it depends on who you ask. Like Viola Spolin is. Right, right. And so. Improv is a very, depending on how you look at it, is a very young art form and is mm-hmm. constantly evolving and changing and growing. So for me, I'm interested, well, what's next? I feel mm-hmm. like improv has been static for like the past <clears throat> 15 years, at least in the United States. Yeah. Uh, internationally, it's still, it still feels like it's very much developing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I would say from my observation, American improv is maybe 15 years ahead of a lot of international improv companies, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Um <clears throat> But as for, you know, American improv, what's what's next? I, I would love to see what improv can draw from other media, yeah. from other, you know, uh not even entertainment media, but even like practical media. Like what what would it mean to do what are what are the tenets of opera yeah. and how can we, you know, uh bring those into an improv scene? What would improv look like if like, uh, if you are a chef, what, what are some tenets of being a, a chef and cooking these very high-class meals and presentation, uh, balancing colors and on the plate and, and dishes and all these kinds of things and temperatures? What would that even mean if we started to talk about improv, like colors and temperatures? Like, just even changing the words we use in improv can kind of open up new avenues of what we think might be possible or yeah. what might be good, Um So, I don't know. I'm still wrapping my brain around it. Yeah. What would it mean to bring a painting into an improv class and be like, this is our inspiration for the class? Mm. You know, oh, I see a lot of choppy brush strokes. Maybe we have short staccato scenes and we see how those can fit together to make a whole painting of a show. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of how can we draw on other media, yeah. uh, other things in life to change how we think about improv? And so I'll, my question is what's next? Yeah, I don't have an answer yet, but I am constantly asking that question. Yeah.
0: And that's where it starts, right? Ask the question. What's next? Yeah. Like, what can innovate and bring something fresh to this art form? Because I think you're right. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of stagnation that we've hit as improv, you know, because I think at this point, you know, everyone kind of gets into improv and they're like, Oh yeah, it's a thing you go to do to be funny. And, uh, are, different ways to find to be funny and uh Mm -hmm. that's kind of it but i think there's there's room for more and maybe room for growth and change and just exploration i think it's something that slowed down a little bit and i think was maybe more present in you know like i guess the 20th century you know when improv was still a developing art form here and you know maybe that's something that's happening more in other countries but in america i don't know if improv is as innovative as it once was
1: well i'm going to draw on what we've already talked about because Mm. I think improv became very saturated, especially in Los Angeles and the the bigger cities in the United States became very saturated, very successful financially. Mm. And so people felt like they got it figured out. Yeah. Kind of like the formulas in, you know, Marvel films or sitcoms, people feel like they have the money making recipe. They're not going to change from that. I think improv feels the same way. Mm. People who run these bigger schools, think that they have the recipe for improv and they're not going to change because this is how they're making their profit. Yeah. Why would you change? Why would you mess with success?
0: Yeah. People come here, they learn it and that cycle keeps happening for, you know, 20 years.
1: Right. And so there's no, there's too much of a risk to explore or to totally flip the script upside down and try and bring yeah. it and bring in an oil painting and be like, all right, let's improvise with this. People will yeah. be like, what the fuck is that? What are yeah, you doing? Like, get out of the room. Yeah. I paid $400 <laughs> for this class and you're showing me a painting. What I, yeah. I want to be on SNL. Yeah. So I think it's the, it's the um, downside of success mm. or at least financial success is yeah. you get the formula, you stick to the script and then you ride that wave until people stop coming to class. Yeah. You don't leave it. And unfortunately I, um, you know, I don't rely on improv for income. And so yeah. I feel like liberated. I yeah, can really explore easier. cause I, I, I have no stakes in it. So It's, uh, it's complicated. It's complicated. And Michael, we have to fix it. You and me on this podcast right right now, tonight. That's the plan. All right.
0: All right. Let's do it. That's what it said on my
1: invite email.
0: Oh, you're right. I said, we're going to solve improv permanently. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. You're right. I did forget. I said that, you know, actually, uh, I've got some plans later, so I, uh, but you can do it.
1: That's true. I can do it.
0: You've got this. Yeah. I'm going to tap out. Yeah.
1: It's probably a good idea.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just in it for the money. So, <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, yeah. jokes on you. <laughs>
0: uh, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. But <laughs> I uh, I think that is a good point, though. Bringing up like you're you're allowed to think these things because you're not reliant on what improv is, so you can think about what it could be.
1: Yeah, and and I've long considered, you know, because I am a lawyer and that's how I make my money, and it's Mm -hmm. I would love to do improv all the time, every day, all day. Of course, but as soon as you make that leap, and I haven't been able to do it, I don't know if I ever will. But as soon as you make that leap from making your passion your job, you might still love it, but I think you love it a little bit less because then the pressure's on. Because then it's your job. You've got to make the money. You've got to. You know, pay the bills with this. And so, whether you're enjoying what you're doing or not, you have to do it. Mm. And I never want that to be improv or comedy for me. And so, I always think I might be one of those people who just has this dual life between having like a more of a nine to five career and then my improv can just be really unabashedly free and do whatever I want and there's no consequences or stakes. Yeah.
0: And then you can fully enjoy it.
1: Absolutely. And if there's ever a time where I can do whatever I want and I can make that financially. Viable, then maybe that's when I'll make the leap. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. And that's the dream. That's the dream. <laughs> Do whatever you want and still make a lot of money. Yeah, I don't.
0: We got to figure that out too. Well, so we have to solve that. Tonight.
1: No, no, you yeah. have plans. You have plans. Oh you gotta, well, you have I'll plans. I got to. I'm gonna figure it out. All right.
0: Well, you know, maybe just like uh, send me an email and just be like, hey, this is what I figured out. Just let me in on the secrets, okay? All right. All right. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate it. All right. I got one more question for you. Um. So picture this. I, you know, just started taking improv classes. I'm new, I'm inexperienced and I want to get better. I want to learn more. What advice would you have for me? Me? Uh, my name's Tim. I'm a new improv student, Tim, Tim bucking Tim Buckingface. Yeah. I get made fun of in all my improv classes, including but, this one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but that's besides the point, what advice do you have for, for a new improviser, Tim Buckingface, who wants to grow and learn in the art?
1: I would say a couple things. One is trust the process. Mm. Um, improv will organically, I think, um, lead to funny, beautiful, interesting scenes mm. when people are listening to each other and they're present on stage together. I think that's really all it takes. Even if your scene's not funny, it might be beautiful. And even if it's not beautiful, I bet it'll still be interesting and the audience will like you. And that's more than I think most people get from live theater uh, is the audience liking the performers. Mm. So I think the the keys are to just be present, to listen, to not try to be funny, Mm. you know, the only trying that should happen is trying to be as present with the other person as possible. Mm. But uh, when you come on stage with an agenda or you are feverish to get a laugh, you almost always will fail. Yeah. I
0: think your desperation will show
1: an audience. We don't give audiences enough credit for being as smart as they are. Mm-hmm. We A lot of times we spoon feed audiences or, you know, perform as if, they're stupid. Yeah, audiences are incredibly intelligent and perceptive. They can pick up on people's nervousness, how they're feeling that day, how close they're standing to each other. These are just things that we pick up as human beings living in society, and so we bring that intelligence when we watch a show. And so, if you are trying to be funny, or there's a sense of desperation, or needing to be, you know, uh, the funniest person or the person in the most scenes that's going to reach an audience and it's going to turn them off. Yeah. And so I think the best advice would be just to be present and listen and try to respond to what the person actually said, not wait for them to shut up before you can say your line that you think is super funny. Yeah. So stop trying to be funny, I guess, is the key to comedy. There you go. There you go. Just don't be funny and you will
0: be. You know, I,
1: I read a great, uh, quote that I have try. I I try to Hmm. share with my improv classes as much as possible. It's when you are trying to, um, do drama, perform drama or perform horror or some kind of slice of life kind of thing Hmm. and you fail, it's going to be funny
0: yeah right like a like a
1: like a bad horror scene or like an over dramatic horror scene if that's what you're trying to like do and it just doesn't quite work it's going to be hilarious yeah Yeah. but if you're trying to be funny and you fail it's going to be uncomfortable oh yeah so i think the key is to try to just be more of a try to just try to not be funny and it's gonna come i promise it'll come. yeah yeah and to the extent you don't want to be funny then i think you're in the right spot yeah, because improv will automatically lead to mistakes and confusion and missed moments. And the yep. audience will see that you missed that moment and they'll get a chuckle because yeah. they saw that. Oh yeah. That confusion. Oh, it gets, gets me every time. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love when people are confused and they just double down on it. Yeah. They are so confused, but they're not giving up on the confusion. <laughs> they're just committing yeah. super hard to the confusion. Oh, yeah. To me, that's, that's so great. Yeah. I love oh, it. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
0: That, oh. That makes a scene go. Yeah. Now I don't want to watch a confusing improv scene. Oh man. All right, Jamie. Well, thank you for that wisdom. Uh Tim Buckingham, he, you know, he sent me a text. He was like, "Oh my gosh." I thought you know, it was Buckingham. I thought it was Buckingface. Buckingface. You're right. I I must have read his email wrong or his text. Um uh, so I sorry. thought that was you. Me? No, my name's Michael. Uh Tim Tim's a dear friend. You know, I I got him to start taking classes and That's he just right. wants to learn and grow and you know, I think Tim, Tim Buckingface kind of represents all of us
1: in a way. I think that's true. Oh, yeah. Oh, another great piece of advice. And I, I, know, I know that yeah. we're, we're wrapping up the interview no, portion. No, don't sweat it. Basically what we've been saying the whole time is that just remember there are no rules. Mm. You know, it took me a few years to kind of figure that out yeah. in a real way. I was just confused a lot from all the contradictory statements everyone was telling me. There are no rules, so feel free to explore and enjoy and try something new and make sure that you find a class that allows you to do that. Because if you're in a class that has a right and a wrong, you're not going to have fun. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And you're going to be beating yourself up after every class and be like,
0: I did all the wrong things. I suck. When in reality, that might not be the case. Yeah. Yeah. Or you might actually suck. Do you think that's... That can happen sometimes, right?
1: You know, I, I would encourage people to suck. Okay. I would encourage people to really just be really bad. It's it's much more freeing. There's only one or maybe a couple ways to do something right, but there's a bajillion ways to do it wrong. Mm. So if you want to feel free, embrace the failure. Yeah, yeah.
0: See, another piece of advice. I, I got to stop. stop. I got to stop. I got... You're giving away too many secrets. You got to write that... that uh, book and sell it on Amazon as no, a PDF. No, uh,
1: no one's gonna read it. Oh,
0: I, I think lots of people read a PDF <sighs> book <on Amazon. laughs> Straight to the Kindle.
1: Oh God. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. Right. Well, we'll see what's next. Yeah, we'll see what's next. All
0: right. Thank you, Jamie. I, I am curious to see and see what's next for you and trying to push the boundaries of improv and what it is and what it means. And I think you're going to be able to do that. And so I'm excited to see where that goes. Oh, thanks. So let's get into some roommate scenes, I mean games. Um, For our first game we're going to play, uh, this game is called Long Time No See. And in this game, uh, we are two people, okay? We're two people who have not seen each other in a long time, and we run into each other at a random location. But, of course, for some reason, we do not like one another. So I'm going to go ahead and give us what that location is. However, we don't know what our relationship, any of that business. We'll discover that. So again, this game is called Long Time No See. The location we are going to be at is a sauna. Oh man, so we're in a sauna. And uh, we'll just, we'll let the scene go and I'll black it out, um, you know, when we're ready. All right, here we go. This is Long Time No See. (sighs) Oh! Kevin? Oh my God. Gosh, hey, Kevin, a long time no see. Oh. Kevin, you're still mad about your dog. I know, I know, I know. That was just really crappy of me, what I did. I... I shouldn't have let your dog free, but he just seemed like he wanted to go back to the wild. Okay, Kevin, I I explained this three years ago. I'll explain it again now if you need me to. I'm just very much of the belief that animals should be free to roam in nature. And I think that's what your dog, Mr. Paws, wanted, Kevin. And I am not leaving this sauna just because you're giving me a death stare. Even if you don't speak to me. I will sit here in the nude, sweating. I will not give up my place here, Kevin. Stop smiling at me. So yes, I am sorry about your dog, but I I don't regret my decision. I'm sorry that I made you feel bad, but I'm glad Mr. Paws is free where he should have been the whole time. Shouldn't have had to ruin our friendship, Kevin. Kevin, come on. You got to You got to give me something here. I I'm not sweating because of the sun. I'm sweating because of you because well, I didn't expect to run into you today and frankly, I thought you understood that when we met, you know, when we became friends that I'm an animal rights activist. And, you know, I really mean activist. So if I see an animal who's losing its rights, I'm going to take action, Kevin. Okay? And, you know, I had actually been thinking, Kevin, I I had been thinking about reaching out to you again and wanted to invite you to one of my animal rights protests. We were going to be going down to the local McDonald's over on Slauson and bringing some signs. Uh, No more McNuggets. You should just chuck it. We're working on it. Maybe I won't, because, you know, getting your general aura, your attitude right now, you don't seem interested. I, you know, I thought maybe losing Mr. Paws might might change your perspective on animal rights, but I guess not. So way to go, Kevin. Way to go. You know what? Actually, yep, I'm glad Mr. Paws is gone. You are an animal abuser, Kevin. I, I see it in those eyes, those, those haunting eyes. As you stare at me, bearing it all here in the sauna... not an ounce change in you it's full of hate of hate for someone like me who believes in the liberation of all animals hamsters dogs small birds that people carry around on their shoulders chinchillas especially I'll fight for all their rights oh Kevin I can't stay mad at you
1: give me a hug
0: that's all i ever wanted
1: blackout oh man i mean, that was your oscar winning monologue nice. right there yeah i
0: whew. i mean i that was that was a fun choice that was a fun choice you gave me there i was like oh Jamie's put me in the in the sauna right now
1: <laughs> oh man that was uh, fun. that was great See, I mean, you didn't—you didn't even need me. You didn't even need—you had that all within you, which that's is true. great. That's uh, true. I think that's so cool. I love uh, when I love giving people room to roam. Yeah, you know, find out who that character is and yeah. go for it. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. you didn't even need me. That was awesome. Well, but I
0: did because your choice, even though your choice was quiet choice, it still informed me about how you felt. I understood your perspective about me. So that was all I needed because I'd go, oh, okay. Well, Kevin's really upset at me. I can see that and hear that because of how you're looking at me and because you're not responding to anything. Although there was a moment, Kevin did smile and I thought, I've won, but you didn't break. Kevin was steel. This is like blue steel.
1: Away. All right. The scene is over, Michael. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I, I'm
0: still in it. I'm still in it. I, uh, I'm having trouble leaving that behind, but That was great. Yeah, that yeah. was good. <laughs> All right, So let's go ahead and move on to our next game. This one is going to be called house for sale. And you know, it's just fun to say it like that house, house for, for sale. sale. Let's say it one more time. House, house for sale. Oh, amazing. Amazing. All right. So in this game, uh, Jamie, you are going to be playing a realtor. Uh, so, you know, you've gotten your real estate license, you're, you're very successful, maybe you work for Coldwell Banker, or uh, that's the only realty group I know off the top of my head, uh, but you work for them, and uh, I'm your client, I'm looking for a new house. So you are going to be showing me around a house, and during our tour, uh, I have a list of random adjectives and rooms that I'm just going to be pulling from, and you don't know what I'm going to throw your way, it's just going to be your job to justify why said things are included in this house. All right. So this game is called house, house
1: for Sale. Here we go. Well, here's a house for sale. Wow. Welcome inside. Here's a cookie. Wow. Oh chocolate, chocolate chip. Choc- I love
0: chocolate chip. Oh, my gosh. You know, my my friend recommended you. He said you were good, but I didn't know you were this good. Well, are you buying the house already? I mean, you haven't even stepped across the threshold. Just imagine. You're right, you're right, you're right. I was so taken up mm. in the cookies, you know, and just... Uh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Wow, this place is, is really something. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow, yes. look at this. This house has a stunning nursery, doesn't it? Wow, look at that nursery in there, that... That room is stunning. Can you tell me about the stunning nursery?
1: Absolutely. This is where we grow our tomatoes, our vegetables, uh, our different kinds of flowers. It's orchid season. Have you ever seen a newly blossomed orchid? I have not until this moment, but I am. It makes one weep. Yes. It makes one weep. Here's a napkin. Thank you.
0: I've never been this emotional over a flower, and yet today is the day. Oh my gosh! I can't believe they put such a stunning nursery in the in the foyer of the house.
1: That's that much natural light. It's it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I, I can't wait to see the rest. Let's keep moving. Certainly, right down the hall. Before here. I, I, I weep myself to, to to Lord knows what. Well, if you weep too much, just make sure to do it over the beautiful gardenias. Oh, they're parched.
0: To keep them watered. Oh my gosh! It's so nice. It's so nice. Oh my gosh, Philip, you are. I know it's early in the tour but I am I'm feeling good about this place. Thank you, Philip. Okay. Wow. It's it's a bit chilly in here. I uh, you know, coming from that stunning nursery, this this cold dungeon seems a bit odd. But but I I'm, I'm open to it. I'm open to it. It's a cold dungeon. Wow. Wow, such a such a change of scenery from that nursery in the foyer.
1: Well, you know, we thought it'd be a great place to cool off after you've come home from a hard day in the fields, toiling with your sun-kissed back and your wretched, calloused hands from picking in the fields and digging for potatoes. I understand that you are a spud farmer. This is correct.
0: I am. I am a spud farmer. That is my profession.
1: Well, the best way to heal that that tarnished skin of yours is just to take a nice little cold soak in the dungeon.
0: You know, it is it's good to understand that there there, there might be advantages to this room. I see so I see the ice bath there that which I feel like traditionally would be used for torture but I see you've you know with your spin it could be a place for pleasure. It is a place for pleasure. And I I do like a good place for pleasure after a hard day in the spud fields.
1: Oh dear. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Now, you must sell a lot of potatoes. You must be doing very well for oh yourself right. to even be considering a home of this caliber. My numbers are up, 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 up. I've got,
0: you know, I've just signed a, a new 10-year deal with um, that, uh, that in and out you know, fresh never frozen. And believe me, I never freeze these spuds. Well,
1: then maybe this isn't the right room for you.
0: You're right, you're right. Let Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Okay, tell me. Tell me about this. Oh, oh my! This is a, a sort of, sort of messy bathroom.
1: Ugh. I'm sorry. I could, I had to poop and I couldn't get to oh. I couldn't get to the toilet in time. Oh, I'm terribly that's sorry. Right. That's all right. You showed up while I was still cleaning myself up in oh, the bath, dear. The what? ice bath.
0: Blackout. What? Wow. Good realtor. You know if you. If you weren't into law i'd say maybe shift that into realty just saying well, think, well well i mean a cookie right off the bat
1: please i i mean let's just say i know how to produce oh i go. know how to produce so <laughs> ah, oh. <laughs> oh, the puns are <laughs> everywhere oh you
0: you were ready with that one you were ready that was excellent excellent now on on point thank you all right jamie we've got one more game this evening and this one I was going to require you, uh, we talked about this a little earlier, but in in mysterious terms. This one is called Don't Mess With Textus. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of puns. So this game, Jamie, Don't Mess With Textus, Uh, you are going to pull out your cell phone and you're going to pick one preferably lengthy text message thread you have. And the reason you need this text message thread is that it's going to serve as your lines for the scene we're about to play. So whatever lines, messages, words are in that text message thread, you are allowed to use in the scene, but nothing outside of that. So I'll give Jamie a moment to kind of look through. All right. So for the scene, we are at the park. This is don't mess with textus us. And uh, Jamie, you're going to give us the first line. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I, I was so glad you accepted the invitation. You know, I've been inviting you to come to the park for a long time and this is the first time you actually said yes for sure yeah i know i know uh a lot of people back at you know in our cohort don't really want to hang out with me outside of classes so i'm actually pretty surprised you're here
1: you're our software expert
0: <laughs> that's right i know on the group project i said guys i'll be the software expert and you know i i appreciate you remember that <laughs>
1: of course no pressure It just seems like something that would be up your alley. I should have tapped you for information sooner. We're probably going to file later today.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I mean, anything I can do to help with the project, I don't mind uh, taking on some extra loads. Um, You know, because I think, uh, Thomas, you're you're a really good classmate, so I'm I'm willing to do anything I need to to help us pass this project.
1: Philadelphia will pay street performers.
0: Oh, my God. Gosh, you're right. Philadelphia Will Pay Street Performers. That's an incredible title for our group project. I think that'll just catch our professor's eye. Philadelphia Will Pay Street Performers.
1: I'd probably have to watch again to fully answer. A few things that I remember are heroism and the sacrifices heroes make.
0: Oh yeah, yeah no. Those 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 were some points that I put in the uh, the PowerPoint section. You know, talking about how Philadelphia street performers can be seen as kind of a form of heroism, just because of the value they bring to the community. Um, yeah, so no, no, we can go over those again sometime if you'd like. Though you know, next time we all meet,
1: I think a lot of hacking is inherently clowning, mainly the subversion of authority and structure.
0: Mm. You know, I I hadn't thought of that. I just. I always thought of uh, hacking as a desperate attempt to get money, but clowning is an, is an interesting way to put it. And, you know, if we can incorporate Philadelphia street performers and hacking viewed as clowning into our presentation, I think there's no way we fail this anthropology class.
1: Yes. Let's write this PhD thesis. <gasps> oh, you're the best. I, I'm
0: so glad I invited you to this park today. Correct. Correct indeed. Blackout. Oh man, I I just want to read the text right now. I was, like, what? Because it, it both seemed like work related, but then personal. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so curious. Oh my but gosh. That's kind of the fun of it. It's a mystery. One Don't will never know. Textists. One will never know. One shall never know. All right. Well, Jamie, thank you again so much for coming on this episode of Improv for the Podcast. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Uh, revolutionizing views on puns across the world. And uh, we're excited to see what you do next with improv and how you explore any last words you want to leave us with.
1: I'm wondering if you and I could just do one roommate scene. Oh, just one, one minute roommate scene just to blow people's minds of what a roommate scene can actually be. Let's do it. Yeah. The,
0: The potential of what it could be. I'm down. All right. Do we want any random suggestions or just get into it?
1: Let's just get into it.
0: All right. Let's get into it. Here we go. One roommate scene. Mm. 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 Uh,
1: Purple, could you scoot over a little bit? (laughs) Red.
0: You're always making me feel uncomfortable when I'm trying to eat dinner.
1: I am as far away from you as I possibly could be, all right. I, I I can't do any more than this. We're on the spectrum together. All right. I need you to change your ways. You know, Red, I hear you. And maybe
0: maybe I could in fight over another color sometime
1: to, you know, to help give us some space. You've already invited over five of your other friends, and it's not enough. Nothing will fill this void. I don't care what orange, yellow, green, blue, or indigo say.
0: Okay. You know, I have tried, and I failed. And you just don't seem willing to listen to those other colors, okay? Whether they're warmer or cooler colors, you don't seem to care. So you know what? You know who I'm going to invite over?
1: Don't you say it. Say it! Don't you fucking say I'm it! i gonna invite over Gray.
0: <sighs> yeah, that's right. Gray, the most boring color. And you think those other colors are bad? You think I'm bad? Oh, Red, you're in for a world of pain. He's so boring. Yeah. He, I hate Gray. Oh my gosh! And imagine I invite over Gray, but spelled with an A. I hate
1: an E. He's got a, that stupid British accent, and I hate him. Uh huh. And I hate him. It's fake.
0: What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do, Red?
1: Oh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go infrared. I'm leaving the visible spectrum. I am leaving you guys. All right? Enjoy gray. Tack him on. Tack him on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Put him between you and the ultraviolet spectrum. If that's what you fucking want, if that's, is that what you want? Is that what you want? Look at me. Look at me. Okay. I'm
0: just... I hate thinking about a world where my cones and rods are unable to perceive you. I can't. We can make this work. Red. We don't need gray. We don't need any other colors in here. Just got to understand that you're warm. And I'm cool. And that we're better together. Give me a hug. Give me two hugs.
1: Double rainbow.
0: Blackout.
1: That was so fun. (laughs) Oh, man. Color theory. There you go. I mean, that was was a blast. blast. That was a great roommate scene. That was
0: longer than a minute because my internal clock is actually awful. But I didn't care because I was having a lot of fun. That was fun. I loved how you brought in all those colors. And then you're talking ultraviolet and like spectrums. And I was like,
1: oh, this is great. I'm moving out, man. I'm done. I know. Done with this visible shit.
0: You're moving to a new plane. That's right. And um, purple's just trying to tag along.
1: That's all I'd ever wanted. Well, Michael, this has been super fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: Jamie, of course, you've been an incredible guest. Uh, So thank you again to Jamie for joining us today on Improv for the Podcast. Um, As always, we'll be back next week with a new episode. But until then, see you next time. Improv for the Podcast was created by Matt Moore and Michael Lee Evans, edited and produced by Michael Lee Evans, and finally presented by Improv for the People interested in more iftp you can visit us at improvforthepeople.com or on our socials such as instagram tiktok twitter and youtube remember new episodes are released weekly thank you for listening we'll see
1: you next time